the last election, who'd you vote for? You know, it's funny how many folks that voted for Trump won't say, like, I voted MAGA. Like, they're, they're all just very open about it to other Trump supporters. Yeah, of course I voted for Trump. But then how many Democrats or folks that you could bet the farm didn't vote for Trump say, well, that's a private matter. I don't have to tell you who I voted for, you know, something like that. That's pretty much the same thing as just putting the coexist sticker on your Prius anyway. So we talked a bit about this yesterday, but I want to dig further into this whole voting thing. Look, if you voted Democrat, what did you vote for? Let's unpack this issue by issue. For a few hours before the show, in preparation for this, I scoured Al Gore's, there I am, scouring Al Gore's internet to find the issues that mattered most to the people with the blue hair teaching at our college universities and whatever else liberals do. I had a bit of a revelation, though. Most of the activists, liberals out there, maybe 25% of the voting body for the Democratic Party, they don't have any principles, really, at all. They'll literally just oppose anything conservatives are for. I mean, take this Afghanistan debacle, for instance. When Trump said he was pulling us out of there, liberals screamed and warned, oh, we're doomed, a future of terrorist attacks, America, and it was foolish, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, this is the same party that thought Trump was just going to get us into more endless wars who pulled us out. So they freak out about that. I mean, look at these headlines. Pulling troops from Afghanistan has undermined Afghan confidence. This is how, you know, the end of the war in Afghanistan. Or how about this one? Trump makes bad situation worse in Afghanistan. I <laughs> The liberals made sure to take these talking points on every news appearance, that this was really the most horrible, worst, bad thing ever. Withdrawing troops is a fateful uh, decision, uh, and uh, there are consequences uh, that, that may be paid for that. What this says to the world about American democracy, it obviously bleeds away confidence in our, in our system, in our, in, in our future, raises big questions there. The Afghanistan withdrawal, uh, I think, is unwarranted. He's undermining everything from trying to push forward foreign policy uh, on a very abrupt basis, withdrawing troops from the Middle East without a lot of forethought. Well, look, I'll admit when I was a bit skeptical myself, on, and I'm on record doing this, I'm not like two-faced about this, but, I, but Trump made it clear that he was going to ensure benchmarks to ensure proper turnover, so I was on board, and so were a lot of other veterans once they heard the plan. But here's where folks like you and me at home watching this, we differ from the lips. I mean, even when Biden continued that plan, most of us were just like, okay, this seems fine. Like, we'll go with it. But where we started to criticize him was when he apparently just blew it all off. I mean, all of it, not some of it, but all the benchmarks. They were all blown off for this proper withdrawal that Trump had orchestrated. Now, you and I have a problem with how it was done, not the fact that it was done. I mean, here's another story that a lot of media seem to be turning a blind eye to. Reuters reviewed part of a transcript from the last call between the president of Afghanistan, President Ghani, at the end of July. Okay, Ghani has, I mean, he's since fled the country and is now living in exile with his family, so that worked out great. When they spoke in July, though, as the Taliban was basically bum-rushing major cities across Afghanistan, Joe Biden said, quote, I need not tell you the perception that things aren't going well in terms of the fight against the Taliban, and there's a need, whether it is true or not, there's a need to project a different picture. Now, I know you guys have all heard Joe Biden talk, but actually reading what he's saying through a teleprompter on actual words is kind of, kind of difficult to string along since he can barely put together a coherent sentence in person. But unless I'm mistaken, that's our president telling the president of Afghanistan to lie to the world. Did I read that wrong or is that just me? I mean, this is far different. I mean, this is a totally different story than Biden's been delivering in his speeches. The, the totally opposite of everything he had said. The idea that the Taliban would take over 
was premised on the notion that the uh, somehow the 300,000 troops we had trained and equipped was going to just collapse. They were going to give up. I don't think anybody anticipated that. The consensus was that it was highly unlikely that in 11 days they'd collapse and fall and the leader of Afghanistan would flee the country. Well, big shocker that somebody in D.C. lied to you guys. I mean, where's the same media that called for every audio file on Trump, every transcript of every phone call? Why aren't they calling for the audio for this as well? I mean, for liberals, it's like this blind party allegiance. Even when to the gates of hell, the libs are going to defend Biden. And the talking point went, went one of two ways. One, it was Trump's deadline and Biden was just following it. Or two, we made the decision to end this war. But Biden actually said both yesterday. In April... I made a decision to end this war. As part of that decision, we set the date of August 31st for American troops to withdraw. Let me be clear. Leaving August the 31st is not due to an arbitrary deadline. It was designed to save American lives. My predecessor, the former president, signed an agreement with the Taliban to remove U.S. troops by May the 1st. That's the same speech. Those are not different days. The same guy, same speech, like less than 90 seconds apart. This is the blind allegiance that I'm talking about. It extends to every, even the national security advisor who's pretending that this takeover by the Taliban in Afghanistan is anything but a disaster. Just on those lines, what is the Taliban? Are they now our frenemy? Are they our adversary? Are they our enemy? Are they our, what are they? Well, it's hard to put a label on it, in part because we have yet to see what they are going to be now that they are in control, physical control of Afghanistan. Jake Sullivan, national security advisor for the White House, not for like pre-K through 12th grade. This is this is the depth of knowledge he possesses. Well, since the people with all the information have no clue, let me cue you in on something. They're a murderous terrorist group that we gave 80 billion dollars for the weapons to in a hotbed of terror. Any questions, class? I mean, my Lord, these are the people running the country. They have access to all this information from every intelligence agency, not just ours in the country, but from our allies as well. I feel like this guy would have more information if he just listened to a podcast on it. I mean, it's no wonder that we lost the war in Afghanistan. These are the people in charge. And the party of all these intellectuals, they look at us like we're the dumb ones calling for calling people out on this. That this is, you know, an, an administration defined by ignorance of the world. And so that's partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience. Uh, you know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump um, that, that wants to think that, that, that Donald Trump's a smart one. And they're, oh, y'all, y'all, y'all elitists are dumb. You, you elitists with your geography and your maps and your spelling. Even though my your math and you're reading. Yeah, you're reading. You know, your geography, knowing other countries, sipping your latte. Well, these are the folks telling that you and I that we're stupid. They're, I mean, they're so principled from their ivory towers. The guy on the right, keep this graphic up here. The guy on the right, Rick Wilson, who fancies himself a GOP strategist, has never worked on a winning campaign to my knowledge, he's not exactly a beacon of morality and standards. So this is the guy who supported the alleged pedophile friend over at the Lincoln Project, okay? But more notably, he's known for this, trying to cancel Republicans for what he deemed as racist. That was until these photos of his Confederate flag cooler surfaced.
Now, back to CNN. The guy on the left, we sit over there, and I mean far left, no pun intended. This is Mr. Ali. Now, this guy is a real gem. A again, I'm sorry I'm using something that's like a year old at this point to make this point, but it's so perfect that I couldn't resist. This guy spent the better part of the Trump presidency, I mean, four years of it, and I mean demeaning Trump voters, lost, irredeemable, uneducated, hopeless, the list goes on. This guy was just downright evil. Now, after the election, he wrote this other column. He couldn't figure out why his attempts to reach out to folks like us, you and I, was failing. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, dude, you spent four years insulting me in your weekly columns and now you wanna have a conversation? Mm, hard pass, buddy. But, you know, I'd have him on. I, I, I would actually have the guy on here. If you guys wanted to, let, let Newsmax know. Maybe we'll have him on. And, you know, what could go wrong? You know, maybe he'll learn something. I mean, you can play this again and again and again with Democrats, though. Remember vaccines? I think it's going to be a very skeptical American public about taking the vaccine, and they should be. We can't trust the president uh, and take his word and take a vaccine that might cause harm to us. When we finally do, God willing, get a vaccine, who's going to take the shot? Who's going to take the shot? You can be the first one to say, put me, sign me up. They now say it's okay. If the doctors tell us that we should take it, I'll be the first in line to take it. Absolutely. But if Donald Trump tells us I should that we should take it, I'm not taking it. I love the fact these people all thought this was Donald Trump in, in the basement of the White House with test tubes making this. Donald Trump didn't make this. Qualified doctors made this. Now, these are the same folks, though, that want to mandate it. And I just want to tell them, like, hello, this was created under Trump's initiative. It's the same vaccine. Biden had nothing to do with the creation of this. Now, if you say the exact same things they said eight months ago, you're this tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy theorist, and they think we're the dumb ones. They're the people who can't even remember what they said eight months ago. I mean, seriously, again, case study for term limits. These people are so detached from reality. I mean, Kamala honestly didn't even think people in middle America knew how to use a copier. And she said we can't go to Kinko's. In some people's mind, that means, well, you're going to have to... Um, Xerox or, or, or photocopy your ID to send it in to prove you are who you are. Well, there are a whole lot of people, especially people who live in rural communities, who don't. There's no Kinko's. There's no Office Max near them. Of course, people have to prove who they are. <laughs> Seriously? Never mind the fact that Kinko's is a chain closed like over 10 years ago. But they are, I mean, they're the detached ones from reality. The Internet went nuts over this. It was it was hours of entertainment. One person even said, wait till she finds." I mean, look at this guy. He said, actual footage of us leaving to find a thing called Kinko's many moons ago in rural America. I mean, one, one guy even said, wait till she finds out that we have computers in our tractors. I mean, this, is, this was internet gold. But this is how liberals view us. They know all, except that Kinko's is no more, obviously. And we're just here to serve them. Now, everybody's here seen Braveheart, William Wallace, one of the greatest movies of all time right here. He said, there's a difference between us. You think the people of this country exist to provide you with position. I think your position exists to provide those people with freedom. Dead on. Gold medal for that guy. That is the difference between Democrats and Republicans nowadays, unfortunately. So I'll circle back to my original point. If you're a Democrat, what are you voting for? Don't tell me what you're voting against. What are you voting for? You know, Normal things they list. Oh, higher wages. Cool. Tell me what Democrat in the last 50 years ever lifted the economy to raise wages for people. Oh, that's right. It was Republicans. Trump did that actually quite well. Affordable health care. Also cool. Trump was the one that lowered prescription drug costs. 
Hmm. Obama was the dude who made it more expensive for everyone. Well, a greener future, said John Kerry from his private jet. This is what I mean, folks. The intentions Democrats have sold us for years aren't actually any priority for them whatsoever. They just think we're stupid. But the joke's on them. So like I said last night, have these arguments, sometimes with your family. It's always the place and time because Biden is just a symptom of the problem. Those dumb enough to keep electing these people, that's the real issue. So I want to bring in Congressman James Comer, a Republican of Kentucky and ranking member of the House Oversight Committee. Congressman, I got to ask you, it seems like the Biden administration is just all spin in this Afghanistan thing. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin just a few hours ago. Listen to this real quick. The United States evacuated some 6,000 American citizens and a total of more than 124,000 civilians. And we did it all in the midst of a pandemic and in the face of grave and growing threats. I am incredibly proud of those who made it happen. For dry eyes, choose clear eyes. Congressman, is this perhaps not the guy to deliver, uh, you know, maybe some message of uplifting news? No, uh, nothing they've done has been appropriate. Uh, he has been all over the board. Uh, the president has been all over the board. Their numbers don't match up. Uh, if you add the numbers each day from the total evacuees, what they report, and then their final report, their numbers don't add up. Uh, prior to the withdrawal, uh, there was no implication anywhere near uh, 100,000 evacuees. They have been all over the board. They don't know how many Americans are still remaining in Afghanistan. And I'm concerned that there's not a proper vetting process for the 100,000 they've already evacuated. So this is a disaster. There's no one in the Biden administration that has been able to be coherent on this. And I don't think there's anyone in this administration that has any credibility on Afghanistan right now. Well, Congressman, you brought up an interesting point. If they're cooking the books here and they're selling the American people false numbers, I mean, that's kind of a big deal, no? There's got to be some laws that are going to hold them accountable for that? Exactly. And the Republicans are screaming for congressional hearings. Uh, we're going to have a congressional hearing tomorrow, an oversight committee, but uh, we're going to talk about electrifying the U.S. postal fleet. At a time when every American is outraged over Afghanistan, there's questions about how many Americans were left behind. The Biden administration has admitted we left people behind. But the Democrats on the House Oversight Committee want to talk about electrifying the United States postal fleet. So the amount of disconnect between reality among Democrats in Washington yep. and what's really going on in Main Street has never been higher. Now, it's interesting, too, is they want to talk about electrifying the, the fleet of, of postal service trucks, and we just handed over a trillion-dollar lithium mine in Afghanistan, probably over to China. Uh, you know, we're seeing this new report from Reuters, though, that Biden pressured Afghanistan President, uh, President Ghani to, into sugarcoating the situation as recently as July. I mean, literally just lied to our faces. He said, you know, whether it's true or not, he's, he's asking the president of Afghanistan to lie about the mission over there for I guess politics? No? I mean, what do you think about this? Well, it's concerning on two fronts. Number one, he lied to the American people. And number two, if Biden knew that it was that bad over there, then why didn't he have reinforcements? Yeah. And why didn't we have a better plan? Why didn't we have a plan B if the Afghani forces were not going to fight the Taliban when they approached Kabul? Uh, 
Right. Uh, there are so many questions that Joe Biden needs to answer. And the fact that he won't even take questions from the press corps, who's always been extremely friendly to Joe Biden, is very concerning. We right. want a congressional hearing. We should have six committees in the House of Representatives meeting today, right now, uh, in, in a transparent manner, mm -hmm. uh, try, in a bipartisan manner, getting the questions that people in America deserve to have the answers for. Yeah, and so Saki was pressed on this earlier. I want you to take a listen to this. Was the president in any way pushing a false narrative in that call with the Afghan president? I think it's pretty clear. Again, I'm not going to go into details of a private conversation, but what we saw over the course of the last few months is a, a collapse in leadership. And that was happening even before Ghani left the country. What the president has conveyed repeatedly, privately and publicly is you need to stand up and lead your country. And that's something he said at a press conference in July in public forum as well. I know it's weird that Jen Psaki is not going to go into details about something and also that she's not going to answer the question that was actually asked. But what do you make of this? Well, I can only imagine if that were Donald Trump's press secretary, what the mainstream media would be saying right now. But it's another uh, concerning element of this whole situation. When you look at the amount of money that uh, former President Ghani uh, left the country, fled the country with, if I had been Joe Biden, you know, why didn't you have a satellite tracker on this guy? If you distrusted this guy enough to have a conversation with him, to tell him to lie about the situation on the ground in Afghanistan, and you knew he had millions of dollars of American taxpayer money, I would have kept an eye on him yeah. and been waiting for him to cross the border because uh, this whole situation collapsed once he fled the Capitol. Right. I mean, that from, from what we can trace back, that's when the wheels came off really officially cool. in Afghanistan when the president fled the country. Yeah, no, I mean, just crazy to me. Congressman James Comer, keep up the good work, sir. We appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me on. All right. Joe Biden couldn't get everyone out of Afghanistan, clearly, so a congressman from the Midwest stepped up and buckled up. The lawmaker who's headed back from an epic mission of his own right now after the break. checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson. You get daily news, insightful commentary, and believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. Knowing that Antifa was behind that, yet you said in a statement that Antifa does not exist as a national organization. Are you trying to explain away Antifa and their definition, or do you believe Antifa actually exists? No, sir. Antifa is a real thing. It is not a fiction. And we then take why it did you say that seriously. Antifa, this is your quote, Antifa does not exist as a national organization. That's your quote. Hmm. Well, that's Oklahoma Republican Mark Wayne Mullen. And if you've never heard of him, <laughs> brace yourselves. Congressman Mullen is reportedly safe tonight after going on a mission to help rescue Americans that the Biden administration wouldn't do. He went into, into Afghanistan to get the trapped Americans he traveled to neighboring Tajikistan, planning to hire a helicopter to enter Afghanistan to rescue five citizens and a woman and her four children. But he was initially held up by the laws on cash transfers in Tajikistan. But after an epic journey and a fight with our own embassy abroad, he did it. We want to bring you Mullen's colleague, Congressman Pat Fallon out of Texas. Congressman, you, you know this guy. Tell us a little bit about him. Well, Carl, how are you? It's great to see you again. Uh, listen, Mark Wayne Mullins, uh, pardon my vernacular, is just an American badass. Uh, he was one of the guys that was right by us. There were five of us that stayed on January 6th to hold the House chamber itself. We did. 
And Mark Wayne Mullen made it very clear to all of us and the folks outside that he wasn't going anywhere. So he's, uh, he, he puts his money where his mouth is, and he's absolutely a hero, and I'm honored to have him as a colleague. Yeah, I mean, this is this is like the greatest story ever. You know, it, it is one of these things like there's very few like there's a lot of us out there, a lot of veterans who are like, sign me up. I'm going in. A lot of us called a lot of people, exhausted a lot of resources. And there wasn't an avenue for us to go in and actually participate in anything because we were met with red tape and, and State Department bureaucratic garbage. But so he went dark for several hours. I mean, he, he was he was off contact. We didn't know where he was. And, you know, Mullins posted on Instagram to let his following know that he is actually homesick. I mean, this guy's a Grambo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and he's from Oklahoma, so we're going to make an honorary text, and our, our districts actually border one another. So, no, I'm glad he did it. And the thing was, what we saw in a lot of the classified briefings that we obviously I can't talk about specifically, but it seemed that, that the State Department had this kind of uh, philosophy that if they can't do the job, they didn't want anybody else to do it either. Right. Because there was a lot of Pineapple Express guys and a lot, a lot of former service members that were getting people out and saving lives. Right. Yeah, no, I know. I, we had uh, one of the guys from Pineapple Express on here, Jay Redmond, who I was actually in Iraq with in 2007 or nine, one of the, um, but it, it, he said, like, we just don't have an avenue to get in any more resources, which is unfortunate. Now, the next thing that I want to talk to you about that is just boggles my mind is Nancy Pelosi. Okay. So this, she mm -hmm. gaveled down this piece of legislation, 5127, I believe it was. Yes. And, yes. Th and this is ridiculous. Let me read to you people what this bill is. Okay. Um, this is, this is a, a different thing. So um, it requires the administration to share a plan with Congress for an evacuation plan for the Americans left behind. Seems fine. Produce an itemized inventory of the $85 billion of equipment and military weaponry also seems totally fine. Bans any funding of the Taliban, super fine with that. Bans any recognition of the Taliban as a legitimate government. What? Why did this not reach the floor for a vote? I mean, you know what, uh, Carl, this is not a Republican thing and this is not a Democratic thing. That bill and that piece of legislation was the American thing to do. It was the right thing to do. And I don't know why it was, was gambled down. I guess they don't want, if, the, if there's any talk about Afghanistan, they don't want to embarrass this president. Well, you know what, this is about Americans are still there. There's hundreds of Americans still trapped in Afghanistan. There's thousands of our proven Afghan allies still there. And $85 billion worth of equipment. I mean, the Taliban Air Force right now is larger than that of New Zealand's. And when President Trump was, uh, President John Ratcliffe told us this, and also National Security Advisor O'Brien specifically said, President Trump didn't even want a cooler, a styrofoam cooler left in Afghanistan if it had an American flag on it. When we pulled our special ops troops out of Syria, we only left tents and polls, and President Trump was mad about that. So you can imagine how he feels now that President Biden left $85 billion worth of equipment there. It's a disgrace. Yeah, a huge disgrace. The other thing is, apparently you guys weren't, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing is you weren't allowed to read the names of the fallen uh, U.S. soldiers on the House floor. Is this correct? We wanted to, so there are about 40 GOP caucus members that were veterans came back to Washington. We're in Washington right now because we wanted to have, you know, immediately address this crisis and try to get our people out. So we had a classified briefing. We went to the House floor in a pro forma session, and we simply wanted to uh, pray for the 13 service members that were lost, read their names out, and then have H.R. Uh, 5127 considered. And none of that happened. We, had, we did have a moment of silence in the prayer, and that was it. And I don't know why we should have recognized those 13 brave Americans and we never want this to happen again.
I just I feel like the House leadership is backwards. Uh, Congressman Pat Fallon, I hope that we see you in a leadership role come come uh, the 22 elections, because what's happening in there seems absolutely outrageous to me. Thank you for joining us, Congressman. Thanks, Carl. God bless. Take care. All right. Thank you. Well, if you think George Soros is only using his billions of dollars to influence national politics, think again. The author of a new book on local elections is up next. Stick around. Information. Truth. Is freedom. Is Newsmax. It's real news for real people. Well, George Soros has been known to have a large interest in local elections, so much interest that he throws a ton of money towards these elections for school boards and state governments. Now, Soros has the highest success rate in influencing local politics because he can drown local candidates in his cash, making it impossible to compete against them in competitive races. Well, joining us now, the author of Dumb and Dumber, Matt Palumbo, and he has another book coming out that you may pre-order right now, and you might want to get it, called The Man Behind the Curtain. We also welcome in Mammoth Nation spokesman and Drew Berkwist. So, Soros, super high success rate here, excess of 90% of the races he gets involved with, and here's a breakdown of all the money he's poured into open, from the Open Societies Foundation. We have a, we have a full-screen graphic for it right here, and it's $16.8 billion with a B dollars to date, $1.2 billion just in 2020 already alone. It's an up of 6.8% from last year. Can you explain this? Yeah, so the Open Society Foundation is Soros's, uh, you know, so-called nonprofit or charitable organization that he right. uses to funnel money to various causes. Um, over his life cycle, it's spent that sixteen billion, um, but it's actually probably going to spend a lot more beyond the grave. Um, Soros, in the past few years, has donated uh, the majority of his net worth, around thirty plus billion dollars, to the foundation. And you know, I think it's just to kind of set the stage for his legacy afterwards and have his son run it uh, and kind of continue that. And it's, it's probably going to get worse beyond the grave. Now, um, as we mentioned, when it comes to local elections, that is where he's had the most success. And it's been, I would say, from around 2015 onward, he started drown, uh, drowning local races. Um, it's, it's mostly DA races. So mm -hmm. there's actually been some household names that are Soros-funded. Um, Kim Fox, who was the one who dropped the charges against Jesse Smollett, was Soros-funded. Uh, Chase Abudin, who's overseeing the search and hate crimes against Asians in San Francisco, uh, and the effective legalization of shoplifting was Soros-funded. Um, and they all have the same you know, anti-law and order message. Almost all of them support to fund the police. Um, but they all support lowering, you know, um, you know, they, they phrase it as, you know, we want to reduce uh, quality of life offenses for quality of life mm -hmm. crimes. So they'll say, like, you know, we're just not going to arrest right. people for smoking pot or graffiti. But when they actually take right. office, it, it seems like crime is effectively legalized. Yeah. Now, Drew, you're with Mammoth Nation. Now, Mammoth Nation is like really the first person I've ever heard of to actually start uh, aggregating candidates uh, that you can support where it's legal. I know there's some like things about donating from across state lines and things like that. But you're a group. I correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys not only donate to it, you aggregate candidates so other people can go on your website and find these candidates to support. No. Yeah. No. You're absolutely right, Carl. Thanks for having. Me. So we we see the importance of this. Everyone pays attention to national elections, federal elections, which obviously are important. Everyone pays attention and has been been discussing more frequently. As of late, how important the academia world is in terms of the message that goes into our minds, but no one pays attention to local elections, and particularly as we're as we're discussing tonight, local school board elections. I mean, literally, the message that is put, the the educational values, the the principles, all that that is that is funneled into our children's mind start with those local school board members. They dictate so much of that, 
And we've so long forgotten that and, and, and kind of brushed it to the side as George Soros, as you and Matt are, are saying here, mm. have, have taken that by the reins and said, we're going to start to change things at the local level and we're behind the curve. So we are trying to highlight individuals that are pushing back and want to fight for, you know, pushing back against mm. mask mandates, pushing back against critical race theory, all of that, because it's super important. Now, you guys, you're you're normally a shopping aggregator, right, that is now putting your funds into these races where legal? Correct. Absolutely. So we we provide we're, we're both. We so we're, we're America's conservative discount place uh, shopping place where we provide vetted companies who we have looked into, mm. know our conservative and or politically neutral. And then we give our members discounts on those products and services that they're already buying. But the great thing is, is we do we put the, the funds towards you know, the proceeds towards causes and candidates such as right. this. And our, a big push of ours right now is the local school board candidate. So, Matt, you know, how much more money do you think he, Soros is going to be able to put into this? If, if I mean, like you said, more past his death is going to go into this. Do you have any idea how many races he's impacted to date? So actually in the book, I mean, it's actually my longest chapter is called, is called Soros and Law and Order. Um, and, you know, it's a couple dozen um, people. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, beyond the grave, he's going to spend at least an additional 32 billion or 30 or so billion is what he donated. And he has about 8 billion left, um, to himself and he's not even stopping there. You know, he's doing a lot of, you know, sort of well, kind of being repetitive uh, positioning beyond the grave. One other thing he's doing, um, he's created what's called the open society university network. Um, so he's, he's creating all these partnerships with universities that sort of share his ideology, um, and do research yeah. to promote his ideas. Right. So it's just, you know, his, his philosophy, his ideology, it's just not going anywhere. Um, um, and, and, you know, and what we can really do is go local, I think. Yeah. And well, thankfully, you know, we have organizations like Mammoth Nation stepping up. Matt Palumbo, I hope the new book is a great success. I'm definitely going to pick it up. Drew Berquist, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. More parents are speaking out against school mask mandates and the vaccine mandates. Now one of them is running for office in the Keystone State. And we're going to meet him after the break. Conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now there's a place America gets its news. No agenda. Just the facts. Newsmax. Real news for real people. It's done giving them the research and the data. Do you understand that? Forget going into these school boards and bringing data. You go into school boards to remove them. That's what you do. Oh, well, that was Steve Lynch, Republican candidate for county executive in Northampton, Pennsylvania. He spoke out against mass mandates for school for students at a recent freedom rally in nearby Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Now, after going viral, he's now receiving a ton of backlash by even local media. We won't allow these liberals to cancel him, however. This is what happens, though. When you start waking up the people that just want to be left alone. When you start messing with someone's kids, I can tell you as this, as a father, all bets are off. So, you know, you, you made this bed, liberals. So the guy you just heard from, Steve Lynch, joins me now. Steve, strong words, brother. How are you? I'm great, Carl. How are you? Well, I'm pretty good. I've been anxious for this segment all day. So um, you went in there and you were basically like, Look, I need 20 strong dudes. You know, a lot of people are accusing you of, you know, violence and threatening. I mean, run us through what actually was going through your mind. So the reason I brought up strong, uh, 20 strong men had a lot to do with my conversation about men in general getting involved. I've never advocated for violence in my life. In fact, I would be the first person that if I was at a school board meeting and some, an assailant was attacking somebody, I'd be mm -hmm. the first to stand up and protect the people being attacked. My intention was to provide 
uh, basically cover. Why? Because the school boards around here have been assault, uh, insulting people, telling them to shut up, calling them ignorant, calling them uneducated. This was told to me by the specific parents that reached out to me for my help, reached out to me for my help with this because our current county executive wouldn't dare, wouldn't dare do any of this. I'm out here serving the people and, and, and telling them, telling them how it is. Mm -hmm. All right. So, Steve, you know, a, a lot of people are still losing their mind over this, regardless of, of what the actual intent was. You're at a rally. Things get carried away. Soundbite gets taken out of thing. You know, I don't believe you were actually advocating for any violence personally. But, and look, I was a SEAL for nine years. The last thing I ever want is violence. However, comma, when you start messing with people's kids, that intuition changes a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, you you're to protect your children. We know right now with what's going on with these schools and these mask mandates, this has nothing to do with science. This has everything to do with control. See the process that, that the left is taking us down. The next thing you know that's coming is mandatory vaccinations. That's exactly what we're going to be pushing for next. And it's all in the guise of, oh, it's for protection, it's for health. If all these measures work, why are we still here 18 plus months later? It does not make sense. The science is, is not conclusive when it comes to uh, any of this stuff. The masking causes a lot more issues than anything else with kids. They can't their teachers' faces. They can't verbal like the way that they're communicating with right, each right. other. It's, it's you know it's it's a it's it's a mess right now. Yeah. Now you're a parent too, obviously. So you know there's because of this speech, there's actually a ton of more brave parents speaking out against this stuff. They're speaking out against critical race theory, particularly at school board meetings now. Now this Miss Kayla Dunn of Idaho, take a listen. I am here to let everyone know, especially those who are perpetuating the lie that I am oppressed. I am here to let them know that I can speak for myself, uh, that I can walk, I can talk, I can read, I can swim. We are not all the same. And uh, despite what Joe Biden says, I also understand how to operate computers. Blacks can build, that we can become Supreme Court justices, that we can lead armies, um, that we can break Olympic world records. And that is why I oppose critical race theory and anything that resembles it. Play that clip on every billboard in America. She is not wrong. People of all colors and races and creeds have been able to achieve everything they want in America. Why, why is it just coming to people like you that just now deliver the message? You know, I think what's happened in this country is, especially since Biden, the resident in chief, has, has, has taken place here, he, people realize that we're in a really big mess. This country's moving in the wrong direction. Everything that the system, the government is doing is, is not for our benefit. And mm -hmm. people are tired of it. They're standing up. They're speaking out. I mean, I do not come from politics. I ran for office because of the ineptitude of the current county executive, uh, the issues we have with the 2020 election process, the fact that our constitutional rights are being violated with all this nonsensical mandates. I will make Northampton County a sanctuary county for the Constitution and the mm -hmm. Bill of People's rights will not be trampled on. That's just that's just all there is to it. Yeah, I mean, it, simple enough, easy policy. Hey, vote for you know, vote for you, and you'll get more freedom. Vote for the other guy; they're going to lock you down. Republican candidate for county executive in Northampton, Pennsylvania, Steve Lynch. Appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Carl. And if people could reach out to me, it would be www.stevelynch.us. You could donate and reach out to me there. I'd love to talk to you. Awesome. Well, we hope you get the uh, all the support you need. All right, coming up, Joe Biden held a news conference about Hurricane Ida on Monday. Never mind that he could barely put a sentence together. But when he did, he may have said something flat-out racist. That's next.
if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. Keep talking about this thing as being north versus south. That's not the issue. It is rural versus urban. You cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. I'm not joking. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Well, that's the uh, Joe's highlight reel. Some of the more racist things he said over the past few months and during the campaign. You know, they say a zebra never changes its stripes. This was Monday. Good afternoon, everybody. We're waiting for a few more people to get on, but we're going to get started, if that's okay with you all. I'm here with, uh, with my senior advisor and a uh, boy who knows Louisiana very, very well, man, and, and New Orleans, uh, and uh, Cedric Richmond. Well, the left says we're all, you know, all of us on the Trump side are all white supremacists, but you at home probably missed that. The president referred to one of his senior's advisors as boy during a Hurricane Ida presser. Now, that senior advisor just happens to be Cedric Richmond, the director of White House Office of Public Engagement. Now, Richmond, as you can see, is African-American. And if you don't know why we're referring to an adult black male as boy is racist, we'll tell you. Let's bring in USMC veteran and former member of the Trump 2020 campaign, Harrison Floyd. Now, Harrison, I saw this and I was like, OK, he used the word y'all. So he's obviously you know, referencing the South because that's where the hurricane hit. And then he says boy in a reference that is usually used in the south as a derogatory term and now the the left says everything's racist so am i making this out to be something that it isn't no okay. you're not making it out to be anything that it isn't it's something that we spoke about quite a bit during the campaign um i remember the day the you ain't black comment happened it was a wild uh, 24 to 48 hours, but uh, you're exactly right. Um, there's also some footage when he talked about his work with James Eastland, mm -hmm. a former senator, I think from Mississippi. And uh, he said, oh, he doesn't call me boy. He calls me son. Boy is a derogatory term, you know, a racial epithet for black males. So Dick Richmond, while he's on the other side of the aisle, he's a 47-year-old man. He's far from a boy. Mm -hmm. So I... Tried to warn you. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, the, if the left-wing the left -wing media comes after every Republican as the worst, no good, terrible, awful person, they come after me, they come after everybody. Uh, you know, they're coming after Larry Elder as the new black face of white supremacy. I mean, they're just making stuff up as they go along. So if the left-wing media had any integrity at all, they'd be reporting this far and wide, right? Because remember when Trump said this? We had a case where we had an African-American guy who was a fan of mine. Great fan, great guy. In fact, I want to find out what's going on with him. You know what I'm, oh, look at my African-American over here. Look at him. Are you the greatest? All right, so Trump's calling an African-American guy a great guy. And they covered him as if Trump was just like this horrible, racist, like hood-wearing person, right? Well, you know, the left, they, uh... They're only good at marketing and trying to label and brand things. They have no policies. There's no substance behind anything that they say. Um, if there was anything, Obamacare would have worked. If there was anything, then the Green New Deal would be happening. You know, So these guys, they just look and try to grab for anything that they can. But you know, when you have something like uh, Joe Biden over and over and over, making these racially, uh, at, at best, racially insensitive comments mm -hmm. consistently and sustaining them over time, it shows you the exact kind of person that he is. 
Right. And uh, while I'm on the other side of the aisle in Cedric Richmond, I do feel bad for him that he has to go in the Oval Office and work for a man that uh, thinks he's a boy. Yeah, and, and beyond that clip, there's a significant number of things that I would encourage people to do their own research on. But a new poll was released this morning on how many Americans are calling for Biden's resignation after the handling of Afghanistan withdrawal. Now, one veteran to another. I mean, this guy says... You know, this is bad. Only 52% say yes. The other 48% are eligible for a CAT scan. What in the world is is the other 48% not seeing? It's not 52%. <laughs> it's, it's much higher than that. We all know it. And I'm getting sick and tired of people acting like things aren't true. Yeah. <clears throat> Those numbers are not, they are incorrect. Go walk outside and talk to any of your neighbors about how the, how they feel the president handled the Afghanistan situation. And to be clear, uh, a majority, as a veteran, and I'm sure you agree as well, Carl, mm -hmm. not have a problem with withdrawing from Afghanistan. Right. The problem is how it was done. The problem is that the Taliban now has billions of dollars in military equipment. The Taliban is now more equipped than some of our NATO allies. The mm -hmm. problem is that there's 13 United States Marine and a corpsman that are no longer walking this earth. That is the problem. Yeah, it just seems crazy to me. I, I, I'm, I'm shocked that the number is, is that low. Harrison Floyd, we appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you, Carl. All right, talk soon. Coming up, the Biden administration erasing records. All that next. Now, there's a place America gets its news. Newsmax, we're real news for real people. Millions are turning off the old channels and switching to Newsmax, the fastest growing cable news channel in America. No agenda, no spin, just the facts. Millions watch us, so can you. Newsmax, we are real news for real people. All right, look, when you screw up as bad as Joe Biden did in this botched Afghanistan withdrawal, you probably want to cover it up, right? Well, Forbes is reporting that the Biden administration has started erasing records of the $83 billion worth of military hardware we gave to the Afghan army, which is now in the hands of the Taliban. The same equipment, the same equipment is now going to be used by our enemies, the Taliban. Records dating back to 2002, the report says federal agencies have been told to remove information detailing the colossal investment from their websites as Afghanistan's new rulers show off their recently acquired hardware. Now, the website for Special Inspector General of Afghanistan Reconstruction has several links to reports detailing spending and misuse of funds. To return those links now come up as a 404 error message. Hmm. Interesting. Really, really interesting. All right, that's all we got. I'm Carl Higby. Stand by for my man Stinchfield. He's next. We'll see you tomorrow.